Hello, real lovers, or anyone listening to this podcast right now. I just want to come on here and just apologize for this episode that you're about to listen to. I was pronouncing Andrei Karkovsky the entire episode and not saying Tarkovsky. I would just like to apologize to all the and Andre Tarkovsky like fans out there. I just I don't know what I was just thinking. I'm just an idiot. But uh, I did fix it on the video version. If you are watching the video version, I just correct it on screen. But I can't really do that in audio form. So I just want to apologize for the entire episode. Just mispronouncing his name completely. Uh, I apologize for that. Also, I want to come on here and talk about the, this episode is actually leapfrogging like another movie in this series that I'm doing. It is uh, The Devils. The Devils is really hard to find because it is banned in like two countries, I believe. And I'm not, I'm skipping it also just because I just don't really want to watch an upsetting movie like The Devil is right now. So Solaris is jumping up in the schedule. And then uh, after Solaris, we are doing a bonus episode talking about Ted Lasso that will be releasing on Wednesday. Keep an eye out for that. Anyways, I hope you enjoy this episode where I talk to Van about Solaris. And uh, it was a really nice uh episode that i had and nice conversation that i had with van van is a really good friend that ever since i've met van he has been completely nice and just wanting to contribute to the conversation about movies and this is kind of he's definitely one of those people that i keep pretty close when i see a movie and i shoot him a quick text and just just uh just another real lover i'm adding to this wonderful family that i'm uh starting with this podcast but yeah anyways i hope you enjoy the mispronunciation of andre tarkovsky and the rest of this episode of solaris i'll talk to you later Welcome back to the Real Lovers Podcast, and my name is Marley Silverbrand, as always, and joining me today is Van. He's just he's just a real lover like me, and uh, t- today on the podcast, we're continuing our trek through the letterbox top 250, and today we're, we're going to be talking about Solaris, ni- uh, the 1972 Karkovsky film. My introduction, uh, I don't know about you, Van, but uh, is, this, is this one of your favorite uh, Karkovsky films, or...? Uh, it was the first one I watched from him, and I want to say, yeah, it's probably one of my favorites, but all of his films are so just amazing. Mm-hmm. So it's hard for me to really pick a favorite of his. Uh, the Sacrifice, Mirror, Stalker, they're all like five out of five films for me personally. Uh, but this was the first one I watched, and I kind of watched it, and I was kind of going through a tough time in my life, and it really stuck with me. But I'm just a huge fan of sci-fi in general. So Yeah, I, I'm a fan of sci-fi too, but... Um... I don't know. We'll, we'll we'll get we'll get into that talk. But Van, we met like on TikTok, right? Or did we meet? We, we, did we meet on Relay? I think it was TikTok or Relay of some 
in some way, shape, or form. It was kind of in that like weird time during all that. Mm-hmm. Um, I've met a lot of people through TikTok, through Twitter, through Instagram, through Relay. So it's kind of it's kind of it's starting to get to the point where I'm losing track of how I met people. But for mm-hmm. the most part, it was kind of in that era. Yeah, and you, you you're just you're just a guy like me, just talking about movies and like you make films uh, make films as well. And uh, yeah, you I just love like kind of like I, I know TikTok can be kind of like toxic sometimes like uh, it can be awful some, sometimes yes n- not sometimes a lot but I think like the, the relationships that you kind of form through like when you talk about movies and like someone can get con- get connected like that I think that like, mm-hmm. it can be really powerful but yeah I made a lot of great friendships through TikTok strangely enough um Tom Criterion Rex I'm going to see him i think sometime this week when i'm in new york but i remember that he's posting videos um, and i asked him where he's from he said he's from new york and i was like hey i'm going to new york pretty soon like if you want to hang out let's just let me know so i'm gonna hopefully meet up with him pretty soon Mm -hmm. that's cool that's really cool uh but before we get into our talk about uh solaris uh i like to play i like to do uh what we've been watching over like the last couple last uh couple weeks it's been a it's been a minute since i recorded but um Van, since you're the guest, uh, what what you've been watching recently? I feel like me and you've been watching a lot of the same things. Uh, <laughs> you mentioned that kind of right before we started, but uh, let me go off of what I've been watching recently. I watched Solaris last night. Um, I did pick up Dazed and Confused on 4K. Finally, the criterion for it, so I rewatched that recently. I rewatched all of the Spider-Man movies, the uh, first three from Sam Raimi. Anyway, um, those are incredible films. I loved those growing up. I recently watched the Meet Me in the Bathroom documentary from, uh, I can't remember who put it out, but Vinegar Syndrome had it on their website. Mm-hmm. I ordered a copy of that, finally picked it up, but I read the novel a few years ago and I was a huge fan of it. I'm just a huge fan of like rock music from like the 90s, early 2000s, that grunge era in general. So mm-hmm. uh, it was very easy for me to like want to watch that. Uh, Evil Dead Rise was another one I watched. Uh, Andre Julaski's, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right, Diablo. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a huge fan of Possession, so I was pre- it was pretty easy to want to pick that up. And then Bo was Afraid, I think, was the big one that everyone was anticipating quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, what, what you, um, that's a lot of films. Uh, but uh, I, I was thinking about saying Evil Dead Rises. Like, what, what do you want to, like, dive a little bit deeper? Oh, yes. I did see Evil Dead Rise, and I think about it as well. Um, very fun movie. It felt yeah. more like Evil Dead 2 from the 80s than it mm-hmm. did Evil Dead 2013. Evil Dead 2013, I appreciate that it t- sort of took its own route mm-hmm. and kind of creating a different tone for the films. But Evil Dead Rise was so much fun. I mean, mm-hmm. from the beginning of the movie to the, about the end, I wasn't sure if I should have been laughing or taking it seriously during some parts. But Alyssa Sutherland, I believe is her name, the lead actress who plays the mom, there was some moments that she just, I mean, she had me dying laughing. It is hilarious during some moments, but also very intense. Yeah, uh, I I was thinking about watching it. It just I, I have like this like I like horror. I think horror is probably one of my favorite genres, but I just can't handle it personally. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I understand I, that. I'm a big wimp when it comes to horror, and seeing like just like the poster for Evil Dead Rises just literally like I just couldn't I, I just couldn't take it. But I think I might. It's see very it bloody, bit. very gory. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I might see it a little bit later this week, but um, is there anything else you've been watching that's notable? I think we also, you also watched it, but How to Blow Up a Pipeline. Yeah, yeah. let's let's talk about that because um, I have some thoughts. 
I honestly, personally, right now, it's in my top three of the year so far. It's very mm-hmm. early, but we're already usually whenever I do any sort of like best of whatever year it is, I wait till about the second half of the year just because that's when we start to get Oscar kind of movies, Oscar buzz movies. Mm-hmm. Um, but this year, I've already got like a good five or six movies that I've already put in my best of 2023 list. And that was up in the first three. Um, very intense movie from the beginning of the movie. I remember thinking that. And the trailer kind of structured it to look like it was a movie that progressively becomes this story about these kids coming together to do exactly what this title says, how to blow up a pipeline. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you've seen the film, you know, the film starts off with this plan already in action. And as things are going on, you're meeting these characters individually, sort of seeing how they come into the story. So I loved the pacing. I love the structure of that movie. It really surprised me. I didn't think it was going to be as great as it was, but I've not stopped thinking about it since. Yeah, I haven't stopped thinking about it since either. And the thing that really uh, like like hit me immediately was the sound design. I think the sound design is probably one of my uh, probably one of my favorite uh, favorite parts, just because the way that the the way everything like sounded to make you kind of feel like the tension of like of them building up to actually blowing up the pipeline of, of like uh, of like constructing like this bomb was it, it had me it had me on edge the only issue that i have with how to blow up a pipeline is i don't know it's it's like this i don't know i'm all for peace to be honest and i get it's, that it's it, it, it's kind of a weird theme to be like oh let's cause destruction to like let's add destruction onto the already uh, destruction that we already have and I'm not sh- really sure where, uh, like, I know that this is controversial because it's just like people, uh, people are are fed up, which justifiably so. They they should be fed up because it's this is the systems that are put in place are set are set up to cater cater to a certain group of people. So you should be you should be mad. But in my opinion, there's other ways to kind of go about. Uh, you see what I'm saying? Totally agree with that. Uh, I think part of me just, I understand that concept of everything and I'm very much the same way. I don't think that violence is ever needed, but mm-hmm. it's one of those things that seeing characters who are finally like, no, we've tried the peaceful way. We've tried doing this version. And at the end of the day, it really is just a story, but the FBI has even come forward and said that this is a movie that should be watched very carefully um, because it could obviously incite or inspire some people to do exactly what they're doing in this film. Yeah. And like it could inspire people to do it for completely different reasons than what the characters were doing. Like in this Mm -hmm. film, people, it it's, I don't know. People want the worst in, in, in things because as, as social media has shown us, they always want the worst in things like that. Obviously there's, there's, there's uh, good people out, out there, but I don't know. That's just that's just what I got like when the credits rolled and it was just I've always been a little bit uh, uneasy about it. Part of me also thinks that with the way that people consume film and media, um, it could be very easily like misconstrued and missing the total point of everything. Mm -hmm. For example, like Fight Club is a big one. Like it's this movie about toxic masculinity and the way that 
whereas that society always wanting to buy everything and just wanting to be consumers of everything. And it, where people have missed the point completely about that, I mean, it's become such a bro film of people just like, yeah, first thing about Fight Club is you don't talk about Fight Club, and it's just a movie about guys beating each other's asses. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing with, like, The Wolf of Wall Street. I see that poster in your background. But oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> that's another movie that, like, I remember I was in my college years. I didn't go to school, but I knew a lot of people in college. And so I'd go to college parties. They'd talk to me because I'm a film guy. And immediately the first question is, you seen The Wolf of Wall Street? And I'd be like, yeah, I get The Wolf of Wall Street. It's a great movie. But that's they're totally missing the point. You're not supposed to like the character. He's a sleazy, dirtbag guy that it kind of is a cautionary tale. It's like, if you do this, you'll end up just like him. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I, I totally agree with that. And like I like I still think that How to Blow Up a Pipeline is one of my favorite films of the year. It's just it, it's incredibly well made and like all the performances were really great. It's just exactly what you said. I hope people get the right intentions from it. But, yeah, I could easily see it being a movie that's very misconstrued, but the structure for that film as well was something that really blew me away. Mm-hmm. Um, the film starts out with kind of the plan of blowing up the pipeline already in action. And so you're watching the film progress and you're learning more about how each character comes into play. But as they're doing that, they make sure to cut it like right at the most intense moments to kind of introduce these characters. Um, this isn't a huge spoiler, I guess, but that scene where they're trying to strap it to that pipeline mm-hmm. where it cuts right as it falls on that girl's leg. I remember thinking like, oh, my God, either she just lost that leg or she's just very injured. But we yeah. don't learn about that for like another 10 minutes because we're introducing how she came into the story. Exactly. Like the way that the, the, the film uses jump cuts is like really, really clever and keeps like the audience on edge. And uh, like I said, it's one of my favorite films of the year. But um you you also mentioned that uh, you watch Bo is Afraid. I, yes, I that's that. actually that's at the top of my list already. I yeah. I couldn't <laughs> stop thinking about that movie. I've still not stopped thinking about it. It's been about a week, I think. Oh, it's actually been a week today. Um, but I've not stopped thinking about it since. It's one of those movies that just comes every once in a while that for some reason is just so crazy and so bonkers off the wall. You don't know what to make of it. I was. Mm-hmm. Very lucky to see it on the Tuesday before it was released. There was screenings everywhere in the U.S., but uh, I saw it in the IMAX screen. And I remember walking in, and there was not very many seats that were filled. By the time the movie started, every seat was filled in that theater. Um, and there's not a whole lot I can really say about the film without spoiling it. But, mm-hmm. I mean, you've seen the film. I feel like it's cut into four parts very easily. The first one is probably the longest, and it's probably the most entertaining, is the scene where he's in his apartment in New York trying to leave basically um the second part of the film i think i'd say is the family that he's staying with which is played by uh i can't remember her name but she's michael's wife in the office yeah the the hr uh, yes her name is grace in the movie and then like her husband roger lane plays him so that was i'm still kind of trying to figure that part out a little bit there's the forest that's its own little story which is probably the shortest one of them all Mm-hmm. And then once he gets to his mom's house, and I feel like that really is just such an insane climax of the story. Um, I'm still kind of reeling down from it. I got a lot of themes of like the Truman Show, mm-hmm. a lot of kind of anxiety being personified, metaphors for everything, allegories. Um, yeah. Obviously, you've seen the film, so you know the attic scene. is yeah. just <laughs> something that I think a lot of people, and that was one that I think was is really the defining factor for a lot of people um 
when I saw what was sitting up there, <laughs> I did not like it. I I go ahead. Go ahead. I I didn't like it either it, it, because once I. I will say, like, I've seen this, it's been two days since I've seen it, and I'm still, mm-hmm. like, kind of, like, recovering from the experience, and I, I really I really enjoyed it, but the third act, I think, is probably the weakest, uh, weakest part of the entire film, just because I, I found it to be a little bit predictable, and, like, you mentioned, like, the attic scene, like, when they reveal, like, what that is, no spoil, if this is a light spoiler, I'll put it on screen, but it, it kind of reminded me a little bit of sorry to bother you like of, of yeah a yeah. little bit to me as well part of me feels like the idea behind that intention is so metaphorical like i have an idea of what it means i don't want to spoil mm-hmm. it so i'm not going to say it on here we could talk about it later on text or something but mm-hmm. um i've had friends who have asked me you know what did you make of that what did i think it meant and i have an idea of what it means but if it is even what it means I still think that there's a lot that has to justify that being on screen. And if that's the case, how many cuts did it take for them to give that an R rating instead of an NC-17? Because holy shit. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's it's de- it's definitely a lot. And I, I, just, I think the, the strongest part of Bo is Afraid is definitely like the first couple acts. Like, like I've never, I think the reason why like that first act is really like just tight too is... It's basically the short film because this is ba- this is mm-hmm. based on Bo, like Ari Aster's short film, seven minute short film that I think you can watch on YouTube. Uh, it's on uh, YouTube, I believe. Yeah. Also, there is a nod to it in the film where he leaves his keys in the doorway, and this isn't a huge spoiler for anybody listening because it's in the short. But he leaves his keys in the doorway. He comes back, they're gone, and the suitcase is gone, and that guy's like, "You're screwed." Uh, but I remember hearing that and I was like, oh, that's the short film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. I just think just that the way that entire scene is shot where he leaves his keys, he leaves his keys in the door. I felt re- like it, it, it was very relatable to me because I do that all the time where I'm just like, where I forget something like in the house and just kind of like going back and forth and the anxiety, it was anxiety inducing. And I feel like Ari Aster really, uh, uh, really showed that perfectly and i i will just say uh, since we're recording this I, I haven't actually said this publicly i don't think i've told you uh yet either uh, ariaster's not one of my favorite filmmakers but after watching bo is afraid like he's really uh, he, he turned a, I, uh he turned a corner like for me like i really i i think that bo is afraid is really impressive filmmaking just because just because of like where went like a money to be honest yeah i get that anybody who i've talked to who still didn't like it a lot of them still said like regardless of if they liked it or hated it they they respect it Mm -hmm. um it is really hard to make a film that ballsy Mm -hmm. it is hard to make a film that is that precise on everything he's trying to say because it's very clear that he's trying to say something it would be easy to say it and dismiss it as like oh that doesn't make sense but me as a fan and me and with everybody in the theater watching, we were all like, what did it mean? Like we were all trying to figure it out as soon as it was over. Um, he's very precise. He's so specific to everything. I've actually been reading through the hereditary script over the last like week or so. Mm-hmm. And I've made notes on every single thing that he writes on the page for like the smallest details. And it's insane how much detail is just in that script. Yeah. Uh, I, I need to go back and rewatch hereditary just because 
I, I remember like I've only seen it once in, in theaters and I remember liking mm-hmm. it. And then here's the thing about the internet that I don't like, like, especially with TikTok, like everyone, like everyone put her- hereditary on a pedestal, like saying it's like the great greatest thing ever. And I don't like, yeah, it's great, but I don't think it, it does. It, it deserved like something that great. Uh, I don't know. It's just like, sometimes i feel like we need to take like a step back and be like listen he can do other things it's not the the internet has this strange way and it's especially tiktok and it's because it's mostly comprised of like i'd say like young adults and teenagers like there are adults on the app and there are adult creators i'm kind of one of them i'm 24 now Mm -hmm. but it is strange because the way that the people share stuff on there and the way that people talk about things on there they hyper fixate on specific things for a given amount of time. And then once everyone is tired and annoyed of it, they just move on to the next thing mm-hmm. they do. It, it happens with celebrities all the time. It happens with young TikTok stars that happens with people like Noah Centineo, who this even started to kind of be a thing on Twitter where they call it the white boy of the month because <laughs> Netflix makes like a really solid movie for teenagers. And even if the movie is just like fine, teenagers eat that shit up. And so you get a movie with a teenage lead who becomes really popular for like, let's say two or three months. They get signed to do like 10 movies in that time. They do those 10 movies. And by the time those, those movies are out, people have already forgotten about them. Noah Centineo, I think is probably the biggest example of that because he was in that movie, the one about all the boys I've loved before or whatever, where she's written a letter to every boyfriend that she had or she had a crush on. Mm-hmm. He was in Black Adam this past year and nobody talked about it. <laughs> I, I had no idea he was in Black Adam. <laughs> who, who, he who plays play? the I that guy that turns like really big. I don't even know his name. That he was terrible. Was it like Ant Man? Was it like the Ant Man clone or whatever? I can't remember what his name is. I'll have to like look it up. But he's <laughs> it's strange. That's what I mean though. Is that they they hyper fixate on like the most random things, like a movie, a song. For a while, it was Olivia Rodrigo. It was Jenna Ortega. And now we're getting her in Wednesday. We're getting her in Scream. And don't get me wrong. She's a great actress. But even she has come forward and said that, like, we as a society, for some reason, like kids, teenagers, young adults, say for some reason hyper fixate on just one specific person, one specific thing. And then they just drive it into the ground until no one wants to hear about it again. Yeah. And it, it just becomes exhausting. But um, like like I said, I, I need to rewatch Hereditary. And I, I would like to read the script, like, just to kind of like just kind of get inside Ari's head just a little bit. But uh, I really love Bo is Afraid too. But um, another film that I watched, uh, did, did you watch this one too? Uh, Renfield? I actually haven't seen it yet. I was strangely enough, very excited for that movie. Mm-hmm. And then it released and I just forgot it existed. <laughs> like I really, I'm still trying to go see it, but part of me has like every chance I've gotten to see it in theaters. I'm like, oh, I'm going to go see that tomorrow at 10 a.m. I'm going to plan to see this after work, and then I just never go. 10 a.m. is the perfect time to see Renfield. Like That's it, it, what I've I'm, heard. It's 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 a fun movie, but it's very much like a kind of Sunday morning cartoon kind of movie. <laughs> yeah, it, it's that, but it also like just dives a little bit deeper into like narcissistic relationships that I had no idea it was like going to go down that path. Like it's written by uh, Robert Kirkman, the uh, famous, he, he's made famous from The Walking Dead, and mm-hmm. stars Nicolas Cage and Nicholas Holt, two of one of my 
Nicholas Holt is kind of like a rising star for me. Like I'm starting to know like how great he was, especially from his performance from the menu. And I've always loved Nicholas Cage. And Nicholas Cage is like he's hamming it up again. Like it, like I I loved I love everything that Nicholas Cage is doing and uh in in Renfield. It it it's really great. I may have to go check it out while I'm in New York, but yeah, that's for some reason I don't know why I can't remember what it was that I was watching that weekend, but I planned to go see that as well. Um, but it was like opening weekend of like the Pope's Exorcist, Renfield, and then something. I think I went and saw Super Mario. If you wanted the truth for that weekend, okay. And I just haven't caught up to Renfield. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, definitely, definitely make some time for it. It's uh, it's 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 really great. But um, yeah. Uh, but anything else? that we've been watching. I think we both saw a thousand and one as well, but you saw it before I did. So you have quite a bit to say about it, I think, right? Yeah. I talked about it on the last episode of the show. Uh, I think it was for the little women episode that we did, but Mm -hmm. I can talk about it a little bit, um, a little bit more just because I think, I think it's probably better than uh, how to blow up a pipeline. It's like, uh, Mm -hmm. I haven't made my list just yet, but it's kind of like, it's in, it's in my top five for sure. It's in my top five as well. I really had a, like, it started off a little bit slower for me, but once it got going, it, like, really kind of made an impact on me, I think. Yeah, I I just like how grounded it was, and also, like, the themes of, like, family, about family doesn't have to be, like, blood-related, like, and, uh, and just, like, I, I, I know, like, the, the, the issues of like kind of what this what this person did to kind of like save like like it was illegal but she was the only one that like saw like this saw like this boy that needed help so Mm -hmm. and she reached reached a helping hand and like the the stuff like what she went through to kind of like throw her life away or not necessarily throw it away but kind of like put like the boy like uh before her what I thought was like really, really incredible for someone that's not even blood related. I thought that was really great. So did you, I've heard a couple of people talk about this film online and I feel like it's kind of a spoiler that there's a reveal at the end. And I heard someone talking about it online. Like it was just common knowledge. And I was like, Whoa, because when I, when, when that ending kind of came around, I was like, it's not what I thought it was. That's interesting because I, I'm not sure if it's common knowledge, but I'm like I the trailers and the synopses for it make it not at all aware that it's not what it seems like when the movie ends. Yeah, uh, I didn't watch any trailers for this, but I don't usually watch trailers like going into a movie and like kind of it, it's it's like I wouldn't really call like the the reveal at the end like a like a full on reveal just because. I don't know. I've ne- like I never really believed like her character was uh, w- was actually like a blood blood related to um I forget the boy's name but uh I I, d- I didn't fully I didn't like fully believe that cuz I knew that th- they there was a disconnection there. Mm-hmm. Like she saw like the, what I loved like in the first uh, in the first scene is that when she sees him like she saw like something in her and mm-hmm. she didn't want him to like live that life and i understand, i guess like, 
that I, I think about it now and part of me feels like it's it should have been obvious, right? But watching it, I was like, okay, so that's her son. She's here to pick him up. She shouldn't have him legally because he's stuck in this foster care system. Mm-hmm. But I mean, like you, I don't watch a lot of trailers typically, but that was one that as soon as you mentioned, I was like, I haven't even heard of this at all. So it kind of threw me away. Like it threw me off that I was just like, I want to see what this is about. Cause I hadn't heard anything about it. I'd read the synopsis, but it was very vague. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I hadn't seen any trailers for it in theaters. I see a lot of trailers in theaters because I'm in theaters quite a bit. I like to be there for the trailers personally. Um, a lot of times when a trailer for a big movies release, I like to wait on those just because I like to be in the theater for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, for- I, I'm kind of, I'm kind of the same way too. And I've seen this. I've seen this video like earlier. I think it was like last month, and someone saying that they avoid trailers altogether, and they like to walk in like when when the movie's starting. Uh, since you brought this up, I would like to just kind of like put this out publicly and say, I think trailers are there as a like a buffer for people, mm-hmm. and I feel like you should be getting all of your talking out of the way, opening up all your snacks if you have snacks, like like in the theater. And then when the lights dim all the way, when it's completely dark, that's when it's silent. That's that's how I like to experience a movie, but that, I don't know. I about personally you. do too. It, no, I mean it drives me nuts that anybody talks during any movie. Um, mm-hmm. When I went and saw Bones and All, that was a movie that I had been so, like I had been waiting for it for so long. I'm a huge fan of Luca Guadagnino, and I had such a bad experience with that movie. Like I loved the movie personally. I've seen it again since it was released, but opening night of that movie. I can't remember what I was mad about, but I was mad about something. I remember that. Mm-hmm. And there was some teenagers sitting in like the row in front of me, like maybe two rows in front of me. The theater is not full, but there's quite a bit of people there. You know, these kids are having a good time and they're talking, laughing during the trailers. I'm like, whatever. It's the trailers. I'm not going to worry about it. But then the movie starts and they just keep talking. Mm-hmm. That opening scene. Have you seen Bones and All? I, I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. Yeah, the opening scene is pretty graphic. Like it's, it gets you in the mood. It tells you what this movie is very quickly, um, but it's very bloody, very gory. And these kids instantly just like start yelling, screaming. They're they're doing it to get a rise out of each other, mm-hmm. clearly. And I can understand if you're you know looking away, you're kind of like make a reaction, but they're clearly doing it on purpose. I let that one slide. After about ten or fifteen minutes, they just keep talking, and so I just quietly or I nicely ask them. I'm like. Can you guys please be quiet? Like, we're we're all here to watch a movie. And then they were like, okay, yeah, sorry. Another 10 minutes passed by. They keep laughing. They keep talking. So finally, I'm just like, seriously, shut up. Like, we're here to watch a movie. Um, so they're like, okay, sorry. Another, like, 10, 15 minutes passed by. And then I just, I finally just, like, let it go. I was like, shut up. No one is here to hear you talk. None of us paid $10 for to hear you talk. And then he was like... <laughs> The guy turns around, he goes, we heard you the first time. And I was like, oh, did you? He goes, yeah. And I was like, then why are you still talking? And the entire theater just like (laughs) cheered for some reason. And they like walked out just like so ashamed of them. So like head down, like they had their girlfriends with them. They were clearly in high school. (laughs) That's like, it was one of those things that, oh my God, like I cannot stand kids like that. It drives me nuts. That's the reason that I almost don't want to go to the movies sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally the same way. And like, I, I've only done that a couple of times because I, I I'm very introverted and like when uh, like I don't really want to like like uh, tell people to put their phone away or stop talking. But I remember w- one time recently I was I was watching Dungeons and Dragons and I, I and I'm a front row 
I sit in the front row, like very front row, because I don't want any distractions. I know people think I'm crazy for doing that, but I just want it's just want to be me, me in the movie. And this person comes in, she she comes down, sits right next to me in the front row, right next to me. There's no buffer seat or anything like that. <laughs> Pulls out her phone during the movie and just starts like texting and FaceTiming. And I just I I turn I turn to her and I look and I'm just like. Uh, ma'am can you please put your phone away and she looks at me and she's just like no and i'm like they look at they look at <laughs> you like, like you're what? the problem <laughs> it's so annoying yeah and she 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 looked at me and said no and just like she's like i can have my phone out and i'm like no <laughs> like I'm that's like, like the I'm, one rule they ask you to not do <laughs> right i'm not going to start a full on argument and i'm just like no I, i'll be passive aggressive so i took my phone out and I just put on a flashlight, put on the flashlight, and just put it in the cup holder and faced it towards her. I, I know that, I, like, I'm just adding to the problem, but she did it. She turned off her phone immediately when I did that. I'm like, okay, cool. So that's that's one of those things. I think you have to kind of know what you're dealing with, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's an. Well, when I went and saw Bones and All, I was like, this is an R-rated movie. Very mature themes here. Mm-hmm. We're all adults here. I want to enjoy the movie, right? Mm-hmm. When I went and saw Super Mario Bros. There was a kid next to me on his iPad the entire time. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not lying. It was unbearably, like, annoying. Um, the mom that was sitting next to him, she was clearly there to watch the movie. The kid was not. And he would keep turning the brightness up on his phone and, or on the iPad, and he would turn up the volume, and he was playing some game. I can't remember what it was. But I could hear it. I could see the screen from the corner of my eye, like, on my peripheral. Like, it was so bright. And she would keep turning down the brightness and the volume, and he would keep turning it up. <laughs> and so at that point, I was like, you know what? She's enjoying the movie. It's a kid's movie. The theater is full of kids. Like, they're laughing. They're talking a little bit. They're just having a good time. I was like, it's not worth it to do it here. I'm just going to enjoy the movie. So at that point, I just watched the screen, and I just had a good time with it. Yeah. Um, when, when, when moments happen like that, that's when I just, like, I, I, I have my reaction, and then I just think in the back of my head, Cinema is back, baby. <laughs> Cinema is back. I wanted uh, to chuck that iPad at the screen so badly, too. Like, part of me like, just felt like it would have been doing justice for the theater. <laughs> yeah, just chuck it at the screen and then look at the kid and be like, watch Chris Pratt. Watch Chris Pratt. Like, watch like Charlie mom. Day. Yes. Jack, Bow- Jack Black has Bowser. Right. Um, but yeah, I, we've, we've went on a severe tangent, but... Uh... That's, we have, that's, but that, I mean, to be fair though, like that's the theatrical experience, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to- totally. But um, that's pretty much all we've been watching. Unless you have anything else that you want to highlight or mention? Not particularly. Uh, yeah. I think I'm excited for a few movies coming out, but nothing that I'm like really in the forefront in the next few weeks, anyway. All right. Um, so let's get into our review for Solaris. All right, that was a that was a clip from the trailer from Solaris, the 1972 
Karkovsky film. I'm just going to read a synopsis here from IMDb. Uh, a psychologist is sent to a station orbiting a distant planet in order to sc- discover what was caused to co- uh, cause the crew to go to go insane. Um, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, this is my introduction to Karkovsky. I haven't like I didn't really I like I went to community college. I took film classes there, but we didn't really watch Karkovsky at all, and uh, so I wasn't really introduced really uh, to him until now. At, since I'm doing this, since I'm doing this series, but um, Van, you've you you've seen this film before, and uh, you mentioned it a little bit. But do you do you want to talk about like your thoughts on? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I've seen this film many times. It's one of those movies that I've I revisit like maybe once a year, maybe every two years. But I found it when I was about sixteen or seventeen. Interstellar had just released. Everybody was talking about that. Um. And so that was kind of the biggest sci-fi film that was about, I guess you could say, like, love in space, sci-fi, just the connection between humans in such a grander way. There is a remake of this film, a 2002 Mm -hmm. remake, as well as a 2009 version that Raisuke Hamaguchi did, and Mm -hmm. it's I Cannot Find It Anywhere. So that's one thing that just this story in general has stuck with me regardless of the adaptation regardless of who's done it i do think this is the best one that i've personally seen i've only seen the remake in this version Mm -hmm. uh but it's something that even like the george clooney version it's so like the story is still there there's -hmm. still such a story of like love transcending space and time in the way that this character kind of sees this world that he's in and the way that everyone has kind of described it as something like hallucination like like hallucinogen right like there's terrified of it but whereas he invites it because he gets to see his wife again um so i think the the ideas and the themes everything that this film is made up of it's something inherently beautiful that i've just loved uh sci-fi is one of my favorite genres ever mm-hmm. donnie darko is one of my favorite movies of all time which i think is one that i Personally, I don't know if I'd call it sci-fi, but a lot of people do. Uh, Blade Runner is another one that I'd say is kind of in the same vein. It's it's about love and the way that it can transcend space and time. Um, I cannot remember where I heard this. I just, I really can't. It's been so long, but I remember hearing one time that someone said what makes a good sci-fi movie, and what most sci-fi films are, is at their core, their stories about humanity and what makes us human. I, I love your enthusiasm for this movie just because I, I'm really glad to have you on for this is because I will admit that I don't think I love this film as much as, as you did. It, mm-hmm. I found this film very kind of like slow and kind of trotting. And usually I like films like that because it allows me to kind of like get invested in like the characters and like the world. But like, I don't know. I, I found this film kind of frustrating but i respect it at, at, at the same time because when what when i was watching like this film i saw so many like influences from like other like more modern films like interstellar is like a th- it reminded me of interstellar like multiple times throughout this and i'm pretty sure christopher nolan probably took major like inspirations from solaris i have uh, no doubt about that absolutely yeah I, and just like what it has to say about like consciousness too and like what mm-hmm. what is actually real and like like i, I don't know like if, if is this like a projection or is this like he is he actually is like the like his wife that 
he actually sees is she like remembering like like uh like uh like experiences that they're having together like on Solaris. It's just I don't know. It's just it, I, like I understand like I understand the themes. It's just like the way like this this film was kind of shot. It just it just felt. It, it it's very ambiguous. Very it kind of leaves you wondering yes. Yes. a lot of things. <laughs> like I kept, I kept on thinking like when the way that it kind of like changes, like the, like, like the color correction, the way it, mm-hmm. uh, it kind of swaps like color palettes. I thought like there, there was going to be like a, a dream sequence, like, like mm-hmm. the stuff, like there's kind of going back between dream and reality. But after like, kind of like reading like certain articles about like, about like this film, I realized that it's not like none of it is a dream. It's all like happening. None of it's, it's all... intentional. It's never one of those things where like the colors are meant to mean anything. Mm-hmm. I thought so too, though, when mm-hmm. I first saw it. But that's one thing that like I've I've really also like for some strange reason the colors don't really mean anything. Like the mm-hmm. scene where the car is driving through the city and there's kind of this purple hueish to everything. Mm-hmm. Um, the camera footage that they have from all the like guys that were up in the station that's kind of like a light gray bluish type hue it's all over the place yeah Um, (laughs) but yeah i can see where you can kind of i can kind of see what you're saying that but the the scene specifically that reminds me a lot of interstellar is the part where he's he's watching the footage back as he's on the space station of the guy that committed suicide Mm -hmm. that reminds me so much of that scene where he's looking at the footage of his kids and Mm -hmm. murph and uh his dad and everyone just kind of like leaving him messages because in that scene if it was so out of context and you didn't know that this was footage of somebody being played back, you'd probably think that they were just on a video call of some sort. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah. So, it's very interesting. Yeah, for, for, for sure. It's just, I, I don't know it for, I don't know what it is now. It's just like, whenever I see like the runtime of any, like any movie and it's over two and a half hours, I always get really worried about like, <laughs> am I going to, I don't know if it's like my, my undiagnosed ADD that can't handle it anymore. Or it's just like, cause, cause I, I watch plenty of three hour movies that, mm-hmm. th- that keep my attention. It's just for, uh, I don't know. I don't want to say that this film didn't keep my attention. Cause it most certainly did just because I like, I, I wanted to, I, I wanted to know what was happening next. I wanted to see what, like, um, I, I wanted to see more. It's just the uh just like the score of this film is something that kind of like kind of was very it was very melancholy and just kind of like kind of it drones like, on it, it does it kind of it, does that on purpose <laughs> yeah it it, it kind of rocked me to sleep a little bit, and I was just like i like I'm not sleepy at all, but for some reason, I want to go to sleep a little bit it's strangely, like... it does remind me a little bit of the pacing for Bo is afraid. Like, mm-hmm. I was very invested, and I love the story, but I can also admit that, like, it's a movie that is trying to wear you out. Well, it, to kind of push back a little bit, I think that Bo is Afraid, yes, like, the score is very, like, melancholy and kind of trotting, but the way Bo is Afraid is edited, maybe this is a testament to modern filmmaking, where, like, more of the quick cuts and kind of, like, keeping people engaged, but... I think Bo is Afraid kept me more engaged despite kind of having like that, mm-hmm. that kind of melancholy tone to it. Yeah. This also was made in the seventies as well. So mm-hmm. in terms of feats of filmmaking, this was not anywhere near what something like Bo is Afraid can do. Mm-hmm. But that being said, 
I think it's a movie that I've kind of just come to respect because there's a lot of things that I think I have questions about with it. And I've just kind of come to peace with it that like, I'm never going to know the answers to these. There's those videos online and articles that people have explained it. And there's all kinds of different interpretations of it. Yeah. I think the idea that we're not really sure what is real and what's not part of that lives with me. And I don't mm -hmm. really mind that. The what? idea that this is a character born from his consciousness and it's just there to haunt him. Mm -hmm. I love that. I, I think what you said there is like really important. And I feel like that's what makes film so timeless too. And the thing that kind of going a little bit off topic, but not really the thing that I didn't necessarily care. Like when, when, when inception came out and Christopher Nolan basically kind of like revealed like what happened at the end. Mm -hmm. and like it, it kind of broke inception for me. And the fact that, I, I like that there's like like you said like there's people like explaining what Solaris actually means. I like that it's kind of open ended, and it's a lot. It allows for people to have like an open interpretation on like what, uh, what this film means for them. And I feel like that's what makes film like, like sh the strongest for like for for everyone really. It's like it's like people talk about like representation like, but all, all the time. But if you can like watch like a film and even if the person doesn't necessarily look like you and you can kind of pull like experiences and how it you can connect that to your own life like i'm not saying that representation is is bad but if you can like kind of like have like that experience like without having people that look like you i think that's mm -hmm. like even stronger like yeah you, absolutely you see what I mean? yeah absolutely that's uh i kind of feel that with the movie her from Spike mm -hmm. Jones, strangely mm -hmm. enough. It's a really strange movie, and it's one of those movies that I think I recommend to a lot of people and they hate me for it. Yeah, I for a while in my life, it felt like I was very much this character that was kind of just trotting through life, like uh, Joaquin's character in that movie. Like, he didn't really see anything that was beautiful in his life. He didn't really notice his friends trying to make an effort to be there for him. But mm -hmm. that was a movie that's really stuck with me. Um, the score is one that I've listened to as well so many times. So yeah, I totally understand that resonating with a character who doesn't look like you, but you very much resonate with, mm -hmm. it can help you through a lot. Yeah, for sure. Anything else that you, you, you want to like, kind of like highlight from Solaris? I think the idea of, I guess you could say the, the, I mean, this is not really a new idea, but the whole thing with his consciousness kind of being the one to haunt him. Mm-hmm in the way that his wife shows up because of it. Every other character in that film mentioned that it was the scariest thing for them. Mm -hmm. That they that they experienced something terrible, that they watched everything in their life come back to them. Like one of them mentioned that a, a child that was on the space station that he then saw later on that was his other child. Um, this is a movie that I think really is a great example of the way we see people in our lives, like our partners, our wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever it may be, because his wife is dead. She comes back from his consciousness to haunt him. And the whole time that he's doing that, he's never once thinks into himself, like, I want to leave the station. In fact, there's a moment where he runs back to her to just to make sure that she's fine, even though she's just a projection of his consciousness. Mm -hmm. You would think that as a character, he'd be like, you're not real. Like, I don't want to. I don't want to experience this if it's not real, but he's so desperate to see her again. He's so desperate for any sort of interaction that he gets with her that he just kind of deals with it. Well, 
I think that th- probably like the reason why it li- those of the people on the ship like when kind of like received like those images and they they found it like like haunting. It, like those people ha- kind of ha- must have had like un- unresolved trauma, and the thing a is, a lot that, like, of it, yeah. And the thing is with him is that he's already kind of dealt with this trauma. Like his wife was already dead, and he was mm-hmm. already kind of he's already come to terms with that, and he just wanted to like see her again. And like I, I, that's kind of like that's kind of like how I saw it, and which which I I, I kind of like found that really really beautiful to be honest. It's like, like yeah, like he 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 already ca- came to terms like he's already he's already like kind of like experience experienced that trauma so he was just kind of like I, like i said happy to see her again i think that's the reason that i've really wanted to find this version that raisuke hamaguchi did i don't know if he saw drive my car from 2021 oh, it's, but it, that was a, it's my favorite film from 2021 like it was out. mine too as well in love in just acceptance and turn it into something that is so beautiful Mm-hmm. I, I want to know what he could do with a story like this. And if it does work, I want to see it. Mm-hmm. I haven't been able to find it anywhere. I think it says it's on Mubi, but even then I don't have a subscription to it, so I don't know. I'm going to do my best to find it this week, hopefully. But have you seen the 2002 version as well? I, I, I didn't get a chance to see the 2002 version just yet. Like, that one's ni- 90 minutes too, right? Like, yeah, it's like, I want to say it's like right an hour and 40 minutes, like 99 minutes. It's It's a good watch. It's mm-hmm. significantly shorter, but it's also it's still the same story, and it's still very much the kind of thing that wraps your head around these characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I just like that. The, like, there's two other remakes, and like I mentioned this already, and that like it it just means that like this film, like I, even though it's like not one of like one of my favorite films, but like like I said, it still it resonated with me on like someone. And how kind of like how how we experience love like with uh with the with the people that like cared care about us and cared about us so absolutely yeah. also I think the guy that plays Chris Kelvin in this movie I was watching it last night mm-hmm. and I just couldn't help but notice how similar George Clooney looked at him and I was like that makes a lot of sense like why they cast him <laughs> and, and that 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 remake is is directed by Soderbergh right Steven Soderbergh yeah. Yeah. yeah, it is. Which I'm kind of shocked that because usually whenever I hear that a movie is directed by by him, I I always have to like run to go see it. It's he's one of my favorite filmmakers. So the fact that he kind of like was the first one to kind of remake Solaris makes me really happy. That was a movie that I actually saw that one like the years following this one, just because I I used to live next to the thrift store and I found it on VHS there. Mm-hmm. And I'm still a collector. Like, I still collect VHS tapes. I still collect DVDs and Blu-rays. I try to collect the highest quality possible. Mm-hmm. The the blue, There's no Blu-ray for Solaris for some reason. There just isn't. It's on DVD, but no Blu-ray. You can buy it on, like, your digital, whatever you use. Like, I use iTunes. I know some people use Vudu and, like, Prime Video. Mm-hmm. But it is available on HD for that reason. But my first viewing for the 2002 remake was on a VHS tape. And there is something inherently just, like, that stuck with me about it since then because of that. It's strange. Very authentic. A very yes. authentic like, have you ever <laughs> Have you ever felt like there's some movies specifically that work better in a really crappy format, like not in a good quality? That's a that's a really good question. I'm trying to Because I feel to... like there was someone that asked me that recently. Like there was like, you don't want to watch this specific movie on 4K or Blu-ray or anything. But one that came to mind for me was the Blair Witch Project. There 
that, that that's a good one. I, I wasn't thinking of that one. I'm trying to think of like like specific formats of like. Uh, well, here here's here's it's not like a perfect example, but it's the reason why I don't have a Disney Plus subscription. Uh, the fact that The Simpsons, like episodes yes. on Disney Plus, are presented in sixteen by nine. They're not like, the right I, aspect ratio. It's, it's, it's the, like those first, the first, like the first couple seasons weren't presented. It, it not couple seasons. I think the, the, they've been on for for so long. I would say like the first ten seasons are presented in four by three. And mm-hmm. there's so many jokes. There's so many jokes that are you lose the joke only, because of the aspect ratio that cuts it, it off. Exactly. Exactly. And I I'm begging for Disney to fix that. Like, a, like I think they've like, added the option recently. I could be wrong, but I remember seeing something about that because I was actually talking about that with somebody at work saying mm-hmm. – because they asked me why I still collect, and I was like, because most of the time, if anything is ever on a streaming service, they don't put it in the right aspect ratio. Like, I had a friend who was like, what's a good example of a movie you would never watch on a streaming service? And I was like, the Dark Knight trilogy. <laughs> and it's because when you have it on Blu-ray or 4K, it gives you that IMAX ratio. You get a bigger picture. Mm-hmm. All those action sequences are so intensified because of that. But on Netflix, none of that changes. Because they have to compress it all so they can stream it out to millions mm-hmm. and millions of subscribers. So there's not enough bandwidth in the, in, in the world to present it on <laughs> the biggest screen possible. But um, I do think that they said if you have like Google TV, I know that Sony uses Google TV as their interface. But they, they have that kind of where you can use that IMAX ratio. For mm-hmm. specific movies, so like Spider Man No Way Home was a big one that they marketed, and then on Disney Plus, they've also added like the option to watch most of the some of the Marvel movies, some of the bigger ones in the IMAX ratio as well. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think it's mo- mainly like the Marvel movies and stuff like that. Movie I don't that. think I've seen any other ones, even then, I don't really watch anything on streaming, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm trying to like phase out a lot of the streaming services just because it's just it's all it's all a mess at this point so i just the reason that i collect and the reason that i don't watch stuff on a streaming service is just because i uh i forget that movies exist if they're put on a streaming service they just come and go man it they really they really do and the thing that kind of like makes me sad is like they're so like like i'm grouping tv a little bit in here too like it's the way netflix just kind of like like allows people they drop a season all at once yeah and it's like people binge it it in like 12 hours and then no no one's talking about it anymore i'm just like hbo max has done a really good job of pacing their seasons for any show that they put out and it's Mm -hmm. because of that that their conversation is still alive i feel like when a movie gets released in theaters you see that trailer for how long three four months maybe five depending on how big the movie is Mm mm-hmm there is a piece of your mind that has that installed somewhere that this movie's releasing. This movie is coming out this weekend. This movie's doing great at the box office. It's being released on Blu-ray. You can watch it at home now. That is like four times a good portion of a year that you are having this film, whatever film it may be, in your head that you are aware it exists. Netflix, Hulu, Disney Plus, they all do this thing where they just don't market any of their movies. They just mm-hmm. put stuff on their streaming. And because their users are watching it, they're so aware of the fact that it's already released. I don't use Netflix personally. I watch shows on there every now and then. I barely open the app. I barely use anything to stream. So someone will talk about a show and I'm like, I don't know what that is. I don't know what it's on. I've never heard of it. 
Right. If I don't have a physical copy or I didn't see a poster for it, I didn't see a trailer for it multiple times that annoyed the crap out of me, it doesn't exist. Well, the thing that makes me mad about it is that it's turned film into a disposable art form. Like, yeah. And like we're both filmmakers. That's it kind of feels like that's a slap in the face. To, for, it does what, very much. What we do. And it's just like it, Netflix is just like, oh, uh, create, create this movie. It, we're just going to release it like whenever. And we're just going to like and uh, we're not going to market it at all. Maybe someone will see it. And it's. It, it, it's like we're it's like we're shoot um it's like a shot in the dark it's like yeah we're, which we're strangely blind. enough yeah. evil dead rise was a movie that i believe they said it was going to go straight to hbo max mm-hmm. and they had to like fight to get a theatrical release in opening weekend it made 40 million dollars mm-hmm. so and, and i can't uh, even imagine how how fast it would have disappeared from everybody's minds if it was just put on streaming how much exactly. money would have lost Exactly. And like, I understand like why like a lot of the studios kind of had to go to streaming, like when, when we had COVID, but like, as as, I don't, as far as I know, like I still go to the movies, you know, even when COVID was a big thing, (laughs) I was still going to the movies. Like theaters weren't closed for that long. Mm -hmm. I get people were being cautious and they wanted to wait a while, but whenever people told me that they haven't been to see a film, since COVID happened or like that Top Gun was their first movie back in theaters. That was a shock to me because I was like, there's tons of great stuff out right now and mm. no one's watching it. Right. And, and I think like kind of like the, the big problem with that is like people say that there's no, like nothing, uh, nothing that they want to, they want to watch. Like they're talking about like movies that are in AMC, Regal, there's plenty of art house cinemas where I'm pre- I'm pretty sure if you took a stroll down to your local theater, you, like you would probably see like a classic movie being played and stuff like that. That's mm-hmm. why I'm like such a big supporter of like my local art house theater where where they're they're playing like movies that more people would want to see and stuff like that because they're trying to get people back. So I think it depends on what how people view movies now because like you said covid did change a lot of things i think it changed the way that people watch a lot of movies it also changed the way that movies release from their theatrical run to the way that we watch them at home right Mm -hmm. so scream six was released today on digital i think it was released like early march in theaters i think so yeah march 6th so it's almost been two months since it was in theaters it's still playing in theaters i think in some places maybe not as many show times but it's still in theaters mm-hmm. i think that's the longest theatrical run that we've had for a movie before it hit vod digital on demand that isn't avatar avatar i think is the one exception that is still in theaters we have it on VOD now, but we still haven't even gotten a Blu-ray update. We haven't gotten any sort of Blu-ray announcement, any 4K announcement. It's well, hard th- because the- a lot of people still – a lot of people just wait for that, like, VOD. I don't know why. Yeah, I don't I don't know why either. And, like, you threw Avatar – like, I'm not the biggest fan of Avatar. I think that it's kind of mediocre on, uh, on, a lot of, on a lot of levels. But I will always see Avatar, like, in theaters because it's one of those mm-hmm. – it's like, it, and and I'll probably never own it on Blu-ray because I don't think I can replicate like that experience that James Cameron wants me to have, like in like in the theaters at home, and like it's all it's always going to be like like a theater experience for me. So people that like I'm not hating on the people that own like Avatar and Blu-ray. It's just 
I, I just I just couldn't see myself owning it, but that's that's just me. I think personally the the just the way that people like wait for things to hit like Netflix or anything now, mm-hmm. they don't care about the theatrical experience anymore. And it's very evident of that because like you said, you go to the movies and there's people on their phones. They're pretty much wanting to do that like what they do at home. They don't want to pay attention to the movie. They want to have a movie on and they want to be in the presence of it, but mm-hmm. they're not really paying attention. They're not engaging with it. And that's the reason I go to the movies is because I know that if I watch whatever it is that I'm wanting to watch at home, I have the option to get up. I have the option yeah. to get snacks. I get distracted. Someone calls me, I'll pause the movie. I'll lose the momentum of what I had. And to be to be honest, kind of go back to Solaris. I kind of had that problem because I had to. Obviously, I had to like stream this on HBO Max. So it's like it's available to stream on HBO Max. And there was multiple times throughout this where I would get like a text, or or just like I, I wanted to get a snack. And I feel like I I would love to see Solaris like presented on the big screen. Like mm-hmm. uh, I, like I, I I'm pretty sure that there's been screenings like near me recently mm-hmm. but now that i've I, I would like to if i'm going to rewatch this i would want to see this kind of presented like on the big screen because that's one like tr- like thing that i liked about this is just kind of like like the set design and the way this film looked was mm-hmm. there's a lot of you could tell there's a lot of inspiration in star wars from this movie as well yes yes the and, way that the hallway is designed the way that the like everything looks like so round it looks mm-hmm. incredible uh, you mentioned star wars there because like those first early films, you, like if you go back and watch them now, like with twenty twenty three, like like eyes, you, you're like, oh, that movie was made in the seventies. I totally got this from from uh, from Solaris too, especially like the way like the characters were dressed. I'm like, that's a seventies jacket. Like it's high it's key. A, I love the costume design in this movie. That is something I that like I saw his pants with the lines on them. I was like, I want some of those. It, the, I I would like to see you cosplay. With, 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 the, with those pants. Maybe, maybe I'll get like a costume for it and just like post it something. But that I love the costume design for these movies. Or it's it's incredible. Yeah, it's it it's re- it's really great. But um, that's pretty much like our talk on Solaris. Do you have like any final final thoughts on uh, on this film? If anybody out there is listening that can help me find the Raisuke Hamaguchi version of the film, DM Hit me. The comments up. Hit the Hit comments, the comments up. up. Do whatever you can. <laughs> I am I am on a mission to find this. I need to find it. So I'm sure someone out there, because I, I know how film nerds are. You're mm-hmm. either a really good film nerd or you're the kind of person that thinks they know everything. You'll just share it. <laughs> right. And uh, I'll, 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 I'll help you find this too. And then I'll, uh, I'll have you back on and we'll, 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 talk we'll do a little comparison. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, because I I'm anxious to see like his interpretation of that, just based on yeah. like what you already talked about with Drive My Car and what he was. Able I to found do with it. That. I found the like thing on Letterboxd of like the fact that he made the movie, like mm-hmm. the like little page of it. There's yeah. only eight people who have rated it. <sighs> eight that, people. See, that's the thing that breaks my heart so much. Like when you when you see like movies like that. Like, you're never gonna find that and i'm just <laughs> like damn letterbox why do you do this to me <laughs> i'm like it says I'll... that it was a student film that he did in college so it's very possible that those eight ratings are people that he went to school with yeah <laughs> when but... we go to college we'll, we'll we'll see if we can hack into like their main server <laughs> honestly i may try to find out and just try to contact somebody at their like school department and be like uh heard you got they're a prob- movie right heard you guys got batgirl <laughs> 
did you did, have you tried like uh <laughs> bad girl <laughs> <laughs> sit in a vault somewhere right um archival.com like have you ever used that like did you, did you try to find it on that website because i have you're... used that website but i haven't i haven't tried that yet because um that's how i've been watching a lot of these movies up until now mm-hmm. is uh like a lot of the older like older films that i've covered like uh, during the mm-hmm. series they're on a Netflix. lot of them are hard to find the version that i watched of diablo the andres zaluski film as well mm-hmm. um I don't think I've ever seen a proper Blu-ray release of any of his movies. The only one that I have that is even kind of proper is Possession. And it's because mm-hmm. everyone kind of has somehow gotten a way to get their hands on that movie. I know that the this theater that I live pretty close to, they show movies on film there mm-hmm. like once a week. They all have like a special showing of one specific movie. So like last week it was Bullet. The week before that, they were showing the Truman Show on 35. Um, but like the weeks leading up to me moving here, they were showing possession and I was so mad because I was like, dude, if we had moved maybe a month before I could have been there for it. But it's, it's one of those things that like, it's not a hard movie to find, but it's kind of hard to find. Mm -hmm. So all of his movies, the silver globe, the devil possession, they've never gotten a proper Blu-ray release. I saw that they're doing one from the UK that has like a box set of all of his movies. And even then, like. It's a UK release, so if unless it's 4K, I'm not gonna be able to watch them. So it's one of those things that's like as a as a person who is so into film, mm-hmm. unfortunately, every now and then you do have to kind of jump through a few hoops. Yeah, and this is why the criteria criterion needs to be just like praised by all film nerds. Absolutely, and, and, and praised by everyone too, just because the the way the, what they're able to do to uh just just not even just release them but remaster them to be able to present Mm -hmm. them in the best quality possible i i used to work at a shoe store where i would Mm -hmm. i mean i would sell shoes obviously um but we worked i we our store was right across the street from a barnes and noble so every time that they did their like half off sale i would go ham Uh, it was so bad like during my lunch breaks i would be like i'm just gonna go look to see what they have and i'd walk back and be like look what i just spent 100 bucks on it'd be like a stack of like five movies my, and they'd all be account. like, yeah, my and they'd ba- be like, my bank account hates me. <laughs> and they'd be like, why are you spending money on these Russian movies with subtitles? And I'm like, because I love them. Right. Okay. Because I've wanted to see this for years and they'll never get it. But like me and you, it's just a film thing. Like genuinely, I think the appreciation for the Criterion Collection has just gone up so much in the last five or six years. M- most definitely. That's, that's basically, that's basically like, all we have to say on Solaris and physical media and restoration. I I, I think this, so. I gave this film three and a half stars on Letterboxd. I, I'm waiting for a theatrical release so I can like see this on the big screen. Mm-hmm. I'm going to probably like talk to like my local independent theater to see if we can see if uh, we can, I can make that happen. Hopefully You're in California, time. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you in Los Angeles? Like, are you close to the new Beverly? Um, I, I can, I'm about like three hours away from Los Angeles. Oh, damn. Okay. So you're pretty far then, but there's like an art house theater near you. Yeah. There's an art house theater near me and like, I'm pretty close with them and see if we can get, get it presented. So, yeah, Uh, I, uh, the the art house theater that I kind of live close to, I say close, but it's like mm -hmm. 40 minutes away. Mm -hmm. I drive there all the time though. Like, it's one of those things that like, if they're showing a movie I want to see, I will drive. I went and saw Ennis Men there. 
mm-hmm. and they have this they have a really big auditorium but they also have one that's upstairs and it's so small it's like four or five rows and it's such an intimate space like everyone there is so into the movie there was not a single person who was on their phone or talked during my screening of it as men that that that's that's awesome i still need i still need to see that film but um it's very it's very slow i will admit yeah. <laughs> well that's uh, my girlfriend she she saw it with me and she was like you didn't you didn't hate that at all she was like you didn't you like you weren't bored by it and i was like i mean there was a few moments that i think maybe a p- few parts could have been shorter but i enjoyed it for the most part mm-hmm. yeah um but um I gave it. I gave Solaris three and a half stars on Letterbox. Uh, I gave it a five out of five. Yeah. Uh, I will admit, I am a bit biased towards this movie. I am a bit biased towards the story and the characters. But again, I'm a huge sci-fi nerd. This is the kind of film I strive to make. It's the kind of movie that I can't even imagine being able to get something, anything, to be able to do an opportunity for a film that's anywhere near this. And I could never touch that film. It's amazing. I love it. But uh, that's basically been a, been our talk on solaris van this has been I, I i've been kind of dreaming to talk talk about movies with you i'm so glad we finally were able to make it happen uh this has been a wonderful conversation that we've had absolutely we've, we've hit everything it seems like we've hit everything but where can the lovely people find you online to also uh have the biggest thing that i do is tiktok uh, my handle's at the bottom of the screen here. It's Alejandro X Padilla. Mm-hmm. I have a link tree that is in my bio. Uh, my Instagram is, I think, the same handle. If it's, I'm pretty sure it's the same handle. But again, the link tree's there. My letterbox is there. All my link tree links are there. So you can always follow me on there. But I do like live talks on there. I try to do them every other night, maybe once a night, just depending on how busy I am. But I love talking about films in general. It helps me kind of vet my frustrations and my thoughts on everything mm-hmm. uh but yeah you guys can find me on there twitter's a big one for me as well yeah um yeah all the links will be posted in the in the description down below give them a follow um you can follow this podcast on instagram twitter all the social media apps the links for that will be in the description uh down below and you can follow me at marley loves film pretty much everywhere too I, that's that's the one this is the the one handle Marley loves film. That's the one that's consistent. The thing about Real Lovers Pod is that I'm trying to. It, someone has it. Someone has it. And, and like <laughs> the, the username, and I'm just like, I'll pay you twenty bucks for this. For this username. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you can follow. Uh, I, I'm most active on Marley loves film on Letterbox, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter. Let's talk movies. This is uh, this this is what we love to do. This is what we love to do. But yeah, absolutely. Uh, Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, no problem. You're welcome back anytime. And yeah, um, for the Real Lovers podcast, I'm Marley Silverbrand. I'm Van. And keep watching movies. <laughs> <laughs>